From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Part of the reason we watch college football is for the chance that we might see something truly special. And last weekend, Felipe Franks and Tyree Cleveland provided a moment that immediately joins the pantheon of great plays in the history of Florida football. On today's show, we'll discuss the play and look toward Kentucky with breakout wide receiver Tyree Cleveland, FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter, and special teams coordinator slash tight ends coach Greg Nord. But first, it was a moment of magic that lifted the Gators to their victory over the Vols, with Felipe Franks heaving the ball nearly 65 yards in the air to find Tyree Cleveland in the end zone as the clock expired. We asked the sophomore wide receiver what he remembered from his iconic grab, and you'll hear what he had to say right after you relive that moment through the voice of the Gators' Mick Hubert. Now here we are, nine seconds left. Gators first down, 37-yard line, left hash. Snap to Franks. Franks dropping back, stepping up, running the ball, looking, looking. He's going to heave one deep down the field. It's going to be to the goal line. It's going to be caught. It's a touchdown. And the Gators have won the game. (laughs) Tyreek Cleveland. Oh, my. I can't believe what I just saw. The Gators have won the ball game on a bomb throw by Felipe Franks. And this place is an inside asylum again. How oh my ball game. Gators have beaten Tennessee again. I just remember, you know, running down the field, focused on the ball. And, and when I caught it, you know, seeing my teammates running, running on the field, it was, it was full of joy. As you're breaking the huddle in that moment, are you expecting the ball to come your way? And, and were you surprised at the defensive look that you saw at the time? Uh, yeah, I was very surprised as the cornerback was like eight yards down. So I was like, immediately I looked at Felipe and gave him a head nod. So I was like 95% I was going to get the ball on that play. So when the ball is in the air, I mean, it seemed to stay up there for an eternity. What are you thinking as that ball is coming down? Do, do you feel good about it? Are you not sure what's going to happen? I'm just trying to I'm trying to understand when you're in a moment like that, what that's like for you. I felt good about it, you know, because um, the safety, he was looking at me the whole time. So I would just focus on the ball and then make sure I come down with the catch. So you're lying there. You got the ball and you got your teammates all jumping on top of you and dogpiling and, and the place is going wild. What did that moment feel like? I mean, what, what were you thinking as you're sitting there soaking that in? I mean, it was it was a dream come true, you know. As a little kid, you always dream of making those type of plays. But being able to make it in such a great environment and at the University of Florida, it was crazy and the atmosphere was unbelievable you were a part of arguably the biggest play of last season as well with the the 98 yard touchdown against LSU in what ways were those two plays different in your mind I feel like those two plays were different from each other because uh, the 98 yard touchdown it was um in the third quarter you know uh, we down and me being able to make that play put our team ahead I feel like that was good for me the coaches and the players and this up the game winner touchdown I feel like it was a different scenario than the LSU game with nine seconds on the clock, everything on the line, the game on the line. And I feel like making that play was, it felt better and it was, it was needed to be made. 
So when you win the game in that manner, it certainly seems to have given a jolt of energy to the fan base about this team and this offense. What was the impact of it inside the locker room? You know, they're seeing everybody um, hyped up and going crazy in the locker room, celebrating with each other. It's, it's a great moment, you know. Things like this, you got to cherish this moment. So seeing everybody happy, the coaches happy, the players, um, the families. I mean, I feel like it was a much thing we needed for the University of Florida and, and the team. Confidence-wise, how important is it? Because certainly, you know, you guys hear the talk about the offense and what the fans expect. What did it mean internally to have that happen the way it did? As every day throughout the week, we just focus on focus on us and the different scenarios. And I feel like this is a big confidence boost for the team and the players as a whole team. So I feel like this upcoming week, we're just going to take things one day at a time and just focus on us, play for each other, and just play fast. If we can take things back for you a little bit, can you tell us about your family and where you grew up? I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida. I lived there all the way up to eighth grade. And after eighth grade, I moved to Houston, Texas with my auntie and my mom. But my mom moved back to um, Jacksonville. So I, I just stayed there because I was um, already in high school. I already had a name for myself. I had good things going on for me. And I didn't want to go back to Jacksonville because things back there was kind of rough. So I didn't want to put myself in that position or that environment. So I basically um, made a choice, go back there or stay in Houston. So I just stayed in Houston, and it worked out It worked out good for me. So that's, that's a pretty formative time in your life there when you moved. I mean, how did that change your life, moving at that point? Uh, at first, I was kind of upset, you know, moving from a place I grew up all my life um, and trying to adapt to a different city and different people. So I... Um, it was kind of hard on me, but as the years went on, I'd, I'd adapted to it, and I got comfortable with the city and the people. If we can talk about your football career and, and when that started, when did you first become involved in football? When did you first get interested? Uh, it was one day I was um, walking with my, um, my uncle, and we was at a store, and this guy came up to me, and he was like, hey, do you play football? I was like, no. Nah. He said, you too big not to be playing football. And my uncle started laughing. So uh, he told me to just come out for a tryout the next week. And I talked to my mom about it. And I just went out there and tried out. And ever since then, I just fell in love with the game. And it grew big in me. Were you playing other sports at the time and just football wasn't one of them? I wasn't playing nothing at the time. I was just a normal kid, you know, growing up. So when you started playing football, what drew you to, to wide receiver? Did you play other positions before that? Oh, that's actually funny because I, I never played receiver um, growing up. I always played running back, and uh, so that, that was, that was kind of crazy. If you were a good running back, how did you suddenly start playing receiver? I mean, as years came, I, I started to get taller and get more slimmer. So, I mean, most running backs are a little thick. So, eventually, I just transferred my game to receiver, and I just kept working on my game, working on my craft, and just putting in the work, putting in the extra work just to get better and um, to be good at what I do. When the recruiting process was going on, what did Florida do to make such a strong impression on you? I mean, they had to do nothing, really. You know, I grew up in Florida. I always was a diehard um, Florida fan. Met with Tim Tebow, person Harvard here. I always watched the games. And it was kind of my uh, dream school, so, you know, they didn't really have to do much. Yeah, I've read about you and, and how much you liked Percy Harvin growing up. What was it about Percy that, that made him such an important player to you? I mean, his work ethic, you know, um, I always looked up to him and just wanted to be like him and make and make big-time plays like him. 
So even though you'd wanted to go to Florida, you did have a very dramatic signing day. And at the last second, you chose the Gators, even though your aunt publicly said she wanted you to go to Arkansas. What made you so confident in that decision and how tough was it to go against the wishes of someone so important to you? It was hard, you know, telling your, um, one of your family members that you wasn't going to that school. But at the end of the day, it was my decision and I had to live with it. So I, I sat down with my um, people and just told them that and told them how I feel about everything that was going on. Looking back now on your time so far, what do you think were the most important lessons you learned on and off the field last season? Uh, I would say, you know, just being smart. You know, I, I got a little instrument my freshman year. I'm doing summer last year, so ever since that situation happened, I've been trying to be just more aware of my surroundings and uh, what I do. What about on the field? What have you learned the most about playing at this level? You know, you just got to play fans. You know, you got to take this league serious because in this league, everybody good. You got to put in the work to uh, compete with the best of the best. So on the field, I just learned just to play fast, you know, play smart, um, learn as much as I can from my teammates. Um, coaches and things like that. And speaking of teammates, which ones do you feel like you've learned the most from? Who have been some of the key guys in terms of your development? I would say the, um, the senior, Brandon Powell and uh, Josh Hamm, you know, they've been a big part of my learning lesson. And just looking up to them guys and just watching them and watching how they do things, I just sit back and just observe everything and look that in. And that goes for the same thing as Callaway. Coming in as a freshman, he's a sophomore. And the things he did as a freshman year, I just looked at those guys and just watch how they do things. And that's basically how I learned and how I handled myself. In terms of guys who are even at another level, wide receivers in the NFL, I'm curious which receivers you look at and try to model your game after. Uh, I like looking at, uh, you know, Dan's Bryan and Amari Cooper. Julio Jones, them type of guys, you know, I think they fit my playing style, the tall athletic receiver um, with speed and and stuff like that. So I, um, I look at those guys and I just watch and see what they do and how they work and how they prepare themselves for games and go about themselves on and off the field. If we can move away from football for a second, when you do have time away from games, class, practice and everything you have to do, what are some of your favorite things to do? You know, I'm, I'm a chill person. I'm a laid back person. You know, I just, when I got free time, I just sit back, you know, be on YouTube, just watching, like, different receivers, you know, just standing to the game. Though, Even though I'm trying to take my mind off the game, it's kind of hard. You know, I'm always trying to get better. So, mm-hmm. usually I just listen to music, play video games, chill with the players, the teammates, um, talk to my family, just those type of things that normal people do. Favorite video games? What, what, what are you getting into? Um, growing up, I was a big math fan, but I, I'm kind of leaning towards 2K. I like 2K a lot, and you know, just the um the way they build things and the way the game has kind of become more real. Who's the toughest teammate to compete against? Uh, in 2K, I would say David Sharp, and I would say uh, Michael P. Ryan. Those guys in 2K, they they pretty good, and and Madden, they got Jawan Taylor. I think he's the best best player on the team right now in Madden, so I don't, I don't really play against him because, you know, he'll, he'll try to embarrass me. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's been an interesting couple weeks in terms of the, the hurricanes that have been going on, and you're kind of unique in the sense that you have roots in both Houston and in Jacksonville, areas that were affected directly by these storms. 
How challenging has it been for you trying to make sure that friends and family were safe during this time? It was kind of hard, you know, being able um, just to be where I'm at, you know, and not be able to be with my uh, family as they go through a little tough time. It was kind of hard because I couldn't stop what I was doing and go there. You know, I had to focus on stuff down here. So it was kind of hard. And I feel like I just try to um, not think about it as much. And and when I go on the field, I try not to think about it as much. And then once practice and stuff over, I get, get on the phone with my family and just talk to them and see how they doing. Is everybody okay and settled now? Is everybody recovered? Oh, yeah, everybody good. You know, we just had a, a lot of flooding and stuff like that. Nothing to get in the house and nothing like that. But okay. it's a blessing just to see my family. They're doing okay. Finishing things up, getting back to football a little bit. As this team moves forward and you with this offense trying to grow, in what areas do you see that you need the most improvement as an offense? I would just say, you know, the speed of the game. We just got to play fast. We got to play much faster. Everybody got to um, be detailed on their assignments. We just got to play for one another. And that's all. I mean, we're going to get things clicking. We're going to get things rolling. It's just, it just take time. It just take that, um, that team chemistry. So I feel like it's nothing that we need to really work on. We just got to bring all the pieces together and let it, and let it happen. There's going to be a lot of talk this week about the streak against Kentucky and keeping that going, which I'm sure you're aware of. How much does something like that get discussed in the locker room, and what impact does it have? We, we don't talk about that as much. We know we got to come out every week and win, so that's one of our number one goals, come out every week and get the W. So we, we really don't talk about the streaks and all of that and stuff like that where people talk on the outside about. We just go out there and play our game, and we let the coach prepare us for that moment. Final thing for you, it's an SEC road game this weekend. It's under the lights. You know the crowd's going to be hyped up, and for the reason we just talked about, what are some of the biggest challenges that you have to prepare for in a game like that, and what are the keys to coming out on top? You just got to prepare for the crowd noise. You know, you know they fans going to be into the game all night, so you just got to, we just got to stay calm and just, and just play our game how we play our game and just everything going to be just right how we want it. Well, Tyree, congratulations again on a huge week in the Swamp, and we wish you a lot of luck moving forward. All right, thanks for having me. It's always a challenge to put great moments in their proper context because we tend to overrate more recent events, but it doesn't seem like a stretch to say Franks to Cleveland is an all-timer. To get some additional perspective on where it ranks in the grand scheme of the Gators, we asked Chris Harry and Scott Carter to share their two cents. Well, it uh, deserves a prominent place. I think like a lot of these things, Adam, um, maybe uh, how the season plays out will have uh, more of a bearing on it in the bigger picture. But in terms of uh, what it meant to this team, it certainly was a was a shot in the arm. I mean, you look at some of the biggest plays in the history of, of this program. You, you think about Kerwin Bell's run against Auburn. You think of Steve Spurrier's uh, kick. This field goal was too long for the regular kicker, so they sent Steve Spurrier out there and he made the kick against Auburn. Um, I think of the Jacques Green uh, reception from Doug Johnson in the 1997 game against number one FSU, uh, the blocked field goal uh, against South Carolina mm-hmm. uh, and Steve Spurrier's uh, South Carolina team that put the Gators in the SEC championship game. Those are the ones that jump out on me. But at the same time, it's a heroic, a miraculous play to win a game on the last play in uh, unbelievable, unfathomable fashion. So, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's people that are saying they've never seen anything like that before, and they haven't. I tell people I was at the Doug Flutie game in 1984. That's one of the most unbelievable things I saw, and 
that won the Heisman Trophy for Doug Flutie, and he also beat the defending national champion. So, so people remember that game for what it was. But uh, this thing was was just something that no one expected. Um, Scott Carter is taking on all debaters on whether or not it was a Hail Mary or not. <laughs> you can check out his story on FloridaGators.com. But uh, in the big picture, I, I think how big it is, obviously it was huge. How big it is in the bigger picture will be determined, I think, um, how the Gators do the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that will be determined how they do the rest of the season. But <laughs> just in terms of one play, one moment, I said this the other night on the field after uh, after the game during an interview. I mean, I think it's the biggest moment in the swamp since, you know, that celebration night of Tebow's last game against Florida State. They mm-hmm. they beat up Florida State. The, well, the record crowd that swamped that still stands today was in, in the house. Tebow uh, did his job, and he, you know, celebrated with the fans afterward. I think just from that standpoint, it was the biggest moment. Quite frankly, it's one of the most unexpected moments because, I mean, you watch that game, you watch those two teams play. It was a pretty pretty hard-to-watch game for three quarters. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, in the fourth quarter, it heats up on both sides. And then, you know, Florida, the way that sequence unfolded, you know, you thought that maybe they were working for a field goal there. Uh, you didn't know really what they were going to do. And even on the winning play, Felipe Frank said that, you know, once he rolled out, he thought about running. And then he just happened to see uh, Tyree Cleveland streaking down the sideline. And he heaved it up there, and Tyree ran under in the end zone. And uh, no matter what other people say, it is a Hail Mary. <laughs> yeah. A Hail Mary is not the type of pass it is. It's about the situation that the team faced. And, the, was, pro- and the, yeah. the probability of yeah. outcome. Yeah. I mean, it was the moment. It was uh, It was all about <laughs> that was their last chance to win that game in res- regulation. Right. You throw the ball up, and you hope the guy catches it. That's what defines the Hail Mary. It's not how the route was run. It's not a Hail Mary is not any one play. But anyway, I, I digress. <laughs> if, I, if I may chime in again, the um, the plays that I mentioned, whether it was Kerwin Bell, Jacques Green, uh, yada, 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 there's uh, time left on the clock in those in those games. Right. And plays were made after that to, you know, this is the last play of the game. And as a story that I wrote on FloridaGators.com, that hadn't happened since 1989. A walk-off win had not happened since Arden Krzyzewski kicked the field goal at LSU in 1989, the night before Galen Hall was fired. And that was a run of 353 games going back to October 7, 1989. So it's kind of a weird stat. I mean, that that, that hadn't happened. There hadn't been a, a last-play field goal for a Florida win in that long in 28 years. So uh, uh, to have a 63-yard touchdown pass and that little run was, um, like I said, as, uh, as far as probability goes, you're, people walked out of that stadium thinking they obviously they'd never seen it again and probably, probably would never see anything like that again. Now, if we're going to get into technicalities, Florida yeah. did beat Georgia in overtime a few years ago on a field goal. So Walk-off in regulation, Adam. A regulation <laughs> walk-off, okay. A, a regulation walk-off. Overtimes, they've they lost games on last play. They've lost a few overtime games. They've won a few overtime games. They won an overtime game against Kentucky on a Matt Jones run, correct? Yeah. In recent years, in 2014. In 2014. So, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, we could debate the merits of Hail Mary, not Hail Mary all day. I'm sure Scott has had a lot of uh, aggressive people come get him on Twitter. So we won't do that anymore on here. Oh, what I do want to ask you guys is if we put this thing in the bigger picture, and you mentioned it, this was not a pretty game to watch for the most part, and yet it ends on such a huge moment. So what, in your mind, does that moment do for Florida moving forward? How big of a catalyst is that for some more offensive progression? 
Well, it can be a huge catalyst uh, for a young quarterback like Felipe Franks, uh, for a team that has not had much offensive success uh, in their first two games. But, you know, that that's a question I think we'll, we really won't know the answer until uh, later in the season. But the opportunity is there. I think it's something that the offense desperately needed, uh, even though they did, you know, finally score a touchdown earlier in the quarter on the pass from Franks to Brandon Powell. And, you know, they had some field goals. They had... But they didn't really have a, a huge play. I mean, that was his by far the biggest play yardage-wise. Well, actually, they had to play with Malik Davis. Malik Davis, yeah. They went for 72 yards, and, of course, the last two yards were marked off. But as far as in the passing game, I mean, he did not throw down the field much at all in that game. And so it was the biggest play of his career, uh, the biggest play of the season, obviously, for the Gators. And now, going back to your original question, what does it mean? Well, it means, you know, the players were asked that question a lot in the locker room afterward, and they all said the same thing. Basically, it's a chance for us to finally have something to build on, something to use as a confidence boost because uh, they needed it. And now they go up to Kentucky and see if, see what they can do with it. Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means they're 1-0 in the SEC East, and they're tied for first in the Eastern Division. Mm-hmm. And Tennessee's chasing them like has been the norm for – you know, what was it, the last uh, dozen years until last year for however long that was. Sure. But that brings more significance to the trip to Kentucky this week because guess what? Kentucky's 1-0 also and undefeated. And, and we'll talk about Kentucky in just a second, but I think one of the reasons that fans have, a, you know, a little bit more optimism about the offense is we saw the emergence of some of those young playmakers. And, you know, we talked about it pretty much in the spring. We talked about it before the year started, and then we had a chance to see it. It, it was Kadarius Toney making people miss. It was Malik Davis. I mean, those are some of these young playmakers we're talking about that can change the, the face of this Florida offense. To get it to them, guys, as McIlwain referred to sure. them after the Michigan game. So we got these get it to them, guys, that they didn't get the ball to in that game. But we saw some of the tools that they have to work with. You know, they got to get it to them more. They got to find out more ways to get these playmakers of balls in advantageous situations. And, you know, they started doing that the other day. I, uh, like Scott made reference to, you know, one pass uh, was completed uh, more than 10 yards down the field. And it was, of course, the last one. They need to have more of that. You need to have, you know, how many times you hear Muschamp talk about explosive plays? Well, we, this offense needs more explosive plays also. And, um, you know, start of that, they need to get guys open, intermediate routes, middle of the field. You know, maybe maybe Felipe Franks isn't comfortable with those with those kind of things just yet uh, back there in the pocket and what have you. But he needs to get more comfortable because the Gators got to be a little be more diversified and be more explosive on offense without question. And a lot of this, I think, rests between the years of uh, Felipe Franks. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll just say that from the past couple of days, whether it was his media session on Monday with, you know, media contingent here, I did a little interview with him on Tuesday morning just talking about what that meant for him, just that one play and what he hopes it means to him. And you could tell he's kind of coming out of his shell, at least off the field, just in the last, you know, 72 hours or whatever it's been since the end of that game. Now you want to see it kind of come out of the shell on the field. And, of course, the coaching staff has to help in that way. They got to, like Chris said, they got to let him kind of unleash it a little bit more because there's no doubt that he's got the arm. And, you know, it's all a, it's all kind of a, a, a connected team thing. I mean, your receivers have to get open. They have to run good routes for him. Your line has to block. Uh, but I think he can definitely get the ball to him if, if some of the other parts of the uh, – equation are doing their job so i'm gonna i'm gonna be curious to see on saturday up at kentucky on the road you know his first sec road starts gonna be a night game uh you know kentucky's gonna be jacked up and their fans because they love nothing more than 
that finally beat the Gators. So it's going to be an interesting test for him, very similar in a lot of ways to the one that they went up there two years ago with Will Greer. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't a great night for Will Greer uh, that night, but Florida won 14-9 and, uh, you know, kept the streak alive. So it's a very similar situation this time uh, with a young Florida team, a young quarterback. It sure be nice for Felipe Franks' uh, standpoint, get some consistency going with the running game and get mm-hmm. him more in a comfort zone back there and be able to work play action passes and stuff like that. And obviously Florida took a big step forward on that rushing for, I believe it was, it was 169 yards rushing, something around then, but obviously 72 of that came on Malik Davis's uh, run that went for nothing. But, you know, Florida still is, you know, toward the bottom in, in rushing offense 12th, I think. And again, I speak of diverse being diversified on offense that for Felipe Franks's sake, that certainly means, uh, doing more on the ground because once the ground game's a lot better, uh, I think Felipe Franks will probably feel a lot more comfortable and find a little rhythm back there. That leads us right into discussing the Kentucky game because when you look at Kentucky, uh, pretty much the thing that stands out about them besides being unbeaten is they're third in the nation right now in rushing defense. And that's Mark Stoops' calling card. He's really helped them build that identity. They're giving up just 2.2 yards per carry so far this season. So that's got to be the matchup that, that defines this game, no? No, Adam, that is a huge matchup. Uh, clearly, you know, Kentucky is very good against the run. As uh, we kind of just broke down, you know, Florida has uh, not been that great with the, the running game so far. But uh, Malik Davis certainly offers some potential there. Um, I, I just think it's going to be a matchup that, you know, Florida has to take the mindset in there. You know what? We have to run the ball tonight well. We're going to run the ball well. I mean, it's almost going back to what happened against Michigan. They're just going to have to go up there with the mentality of we're going to win that battle up front. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, that's the only way you really get the running game going unless unless you uh, just have some explosive runs uh, that score fast, you know, like we thought Davis had against uh, Tennessee the other day. But, uh, again, the running game has to get going. That's only going to make Frank's job easier. And, it, you know, Kentucky, that's what they do well. That's uh, that's the biggest thing so I do think that's the matchup to watch one of the things we talked about after the Tennessee game on Facebook live with uh with Mitch Gerber on Gator Vision and what have you but uh we were talking about the big picture of that game how good is Tennessee is what I said Mm -hmm. you want to step back and say you know how how real how good is Tennessee again you're going to need some more of the season to play out um I'm not bashing Kentucky but I'm wondering how good how good is Kentucky Kentucky has some really good numbers right now if you're only going up 57 yards a game but at the same time they won at Southern Miss they beat Eastern Kentucky at home and give them credit, they did go to South Carolina and win a game where there was some expectation there and for the home team. Sure. I think they scored a, like a 65-yard touchdown on the, on the very first play of the game, South Carolina did. So Kentucky was playing from a, something of a hole and, and came out of that. But, you know, they're, they're, there's something about when Florida comes to Kentucky, that Kentucky, how is Kentucky going to play? It's been 15 straight that they've beaten them up there, 30 in a row total. Uh, so how good is this Kentucky team? I think this they're looking at this one as they usually do this time of year, as a measuring stick for their program. But uh, uh, I think Florida does need to run the ball on them, and I think they need to run the ball right at them. And I don't think you have to get too caught up in, oh, they're 57. They're only given their they're number one in the SEC in rush defense. And you really, I think you really got to take it to them for the sake of that offense and for the sake of their quarterback. Anything else on Kentucky? Or is that cover Kentucky as far as you guys are concerned? They have a quarterback who transferred from Grambling. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he is a little bit of a live wire. I think he likes to uh, um, stare down his opponents. <laughs> and uh, with the confidence of sixty of a sold-out crowd, 65,000 of whatever up at uh, – it's not Commonwealth Stadium anymore. It's Kroger Scott. Field it's now, Kroger, Kroger Field Kroger is what it's called, Field. yes. And uh, they, we were up there for their dedication game two years ago yeah. after they had, had redone the whole place. And it's a, they, they did a really, really nice job with it. But I also remember going in there, walking into the stadium. Those fans were convinced two years ago that the streak was ending that night. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Will Greer was going in there for his first road game. Florida hadn't looked particularly good in, it, in its season opener. And it was 14-9. to nine. It was a game that certainly Kentucky could have won, but they didn't. And I imagine walking into Kroger Field this uh, Saturday night, we're going to hear a lot of the same thing and get a lot of the same kind of vibes because uh, this is a better team than that was two years ago. I think Stoops has done a good job. That's a really, really hard job, really tough place to build a winning program. But – this is probably his uh, Kentucky's best team in probably 12 years or so. So uh, we'll see what happens when Florida goes up there. And if Kentucky sees something of a measuring stick, I'm sure Florida can look at it as something of a me- measuring stick to get the offense back on track. We don't like to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but a couple days ago we did see the release of the 2018 schedule, which has some quirks to it. Uh, what stands out to you guys from next year's slate? The first thing I notice, they're going to what Mississippi State for the first time in nine years. Uh, that's somewhere that the Gators don't make uh, their way out to very often. The last time they did was 09. So in 2018, they're going to play out in Starkville. And uh, it, it's a kind of a more of a traditional schedule compared to what you know they had this year with the big Michigan game. Obviously, Charleston Southern is a season opener next year back here at the Swamp. Uh, and then you go uh, – you know, you got Idaho coming in later in the year. And, uh, of course, a matchup that is going to be discussed a lot, you know, is when a Colorado State makes a stop in town. Obviously, that's where Jim McElwain came to Florida from. He spent three years out there and, uh, you know, really transformed that program a lot. Actually, they're, they're playing in a new stadium this year that was uh, initiated uh, during his tenure there. And uh, so, you know, you know that's going to be a big match for him personally. And, of course, then it gets into that, you know, you got the SEC grind every season. But it is going to be nice to see LSU having to come to Gainesville for a second consecutive year in uh, 2018. So those are those are some of the really the things that stick out to me. Let us move now into our PAT. Uh, and we're glad we have Chris back this week because we know it's, he's passionate about delving into other topics. So w- what I want to talk to you guys about this week is something I actually just saw right before we started talking, which is, the Angels have been running a promotion through Sherwin-Williams. They have a giant Sherwin-Williams paint can out in left center field. And they said if anybody hits a home run into the paint can, that they would donate a million dollars to the Angels Foundation. Well, on Tuesday night, Justin Upton hit a home run that actually bounced off the concourse and went into the paint can. So the crowd went wild. They thought that the, uh, you know, the, the million dollars was going to be going to charity. And then it was announced the next day that because it didn't land on the fly, that the money was not going to be donated. I, this seems to me to be uh, kind of wrong. We're talking about charity. The, technically, the ball had to go in. It went in. And I don't know why they would back off that now because it seems like bad PR. But I'm curious if you guys are on the same page on that. Here's my deal with that. I mean, what, what was the charity for? Do you, do you know? What's well, the Angels Foundation. So it's the Angels Charitable Foundation. Come on, Sherwin Williams. I mean, you're you're painting houses all over the place. Any up the money. The the guy dropped it in there. And and, and here's the deal. 
it's probably not Sherwin Williams that is causing the problems here. If I know how these gimmick kind of uh, um, promotional kind of things go, there's an insurance company. It's insurance, in exactly. It's insurance, and I guarantee these insurance guys are coming up and saying, "Oh no!" I mean, so uh, if I'm if I'm Sherwin Williams, this is a bad look. Mm-hmm. I, I may be stepping back and saying, "You know what? Insurance isn't going to pay for it, but." Maybe we should ante up and, and put this thing to a good cause because it, the ball went in the damn can. Yeah, you know, I watched the replay right before uh, we started talking here. I mean, great home run, but I was actually shocked at how high it had to bounce off of that. Just to get in. Grass or whatever to get into the can. So it even looked harder. It may be harder to hit it like that than <laughs> it directly into the can. Right. So I'm all, I'm all on Chris here. Obviously, there's some fine riding somewhere on that uh, promotion that probably covered this somewhere, but it had to be the kind of writing that nobody ever reads. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a bad look for Sherman Williams. But if I'm the Angels uh, or, you know, the players, uh, you know, maybe ante up and they can make them look worse, I guess. Does, can Mike Trout afford to ante up anything? He probably can. I mean, I, yeah. I haven't talked to him about it, but he can probably afford it. Yeah, but I know Albert Pujols can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. bottom line, uh, you see something like that. And it's not like that paint can is stationed somewhere, you know, on the concourse behind a concession stand. It's right there in center field over the fence. Right. Right. <laughs> I think uh, by the time we do our Gator Tales podcast next week, I, I think this thing will have been rectified. And I'm always this uh, just do what's right guy. Mm-hmm. When circumstances like this come up, just do the right thing, and I think the right thing would be to uh, uh, write a check and uh, and uh, help their own foundation that way. I don't know how many times I've ever said this, and I don't know how I feel about it in this moment, but I agree 100% with everything that Chris said. So, wow. <laughs> Here's the first. So historical moment here on a Gator Tell. That yes. was more historical than the Franks to Cleveland. <laughs> I was going to say, two huge history-making events in one week, one on the field and one here on the Gator Tales podcast. But, uh, again, thank you guys as always. Check out all their stuff on FloridaGators.com leading up to the game at Kentucky, and they will be in Lexington to bring you full coverage. Follow them at Gators Chris at Gators Scott. Uh, guys, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Adam. It's hard to find someone with closer ties to the Bluegrass State than Greg Nord. Florida's special teams coordinator and tight ends coach played at Kentucky and coached at Kentucky, Louisville, and Western Kentucky for a total of almost 30 years. As he prepares to head back to his alma mater for a critical game with his current employer, Jeff Cardozo caught up with Coach Nord and asked him what it's like to return home. Well, it's it's fun to come back here. You got a lot of fond memories and got a lot of your old friends from when you actually played there and I actually coached there. But uh, it's more fun to go back on the Gator side and being on the good side of the street. No doubt. Uh, stadiums changed a little bit, huh, from way back when? Yeah, Kroger Field now. You know, <laughs> for all the years I was there, uh, it was Commonwealth Stadium, I guess. But uh, they've gussied it up a little bit, tried uh, to bring it up to speed. I'm sure it would be rocking and rolling. It would just be blue and white rather than orange and blue. Well, and, you know, obviously, uh, b- before we talk about some of your guys, you know, just the, the streak. And I know you guys don't talk about it, but from Kentucky's standpoint, do you think there's a lot of fans and people there uh, just talking about, hey, we finally need to get to Florida and, you know, it's going to try to motivate them. But, you know, for you guys, it's just, hey, it's the next game, right? Yeah. You know, once once you tee it up and kick it off, that, there's no thought of that even, man. 
Well, you got a, a guy that uh, tees it up and kicks it off really far. So let's talk about Eddie Pinheiro first. And you know, some Gator fans were wanting to see uh, maybe what, what that kick would have been uh, last week, but the Hail Mary gets hit. But just the asset that, that Eddie's made. And you know, you look at what when you first got him, how raw he was to making all those field goals at the end of last year. And it might be the, the best pick kicker in the country. Well, he has to go in that mention. Uh, he's done a good job for us. He's, he's reliable. You know, once you get uh, across the 50, you start knowing that you're getting close to range. So uh, knowing that you got points there ready to be made, that's, that's something that's very valuable. I know we talked to you last year when, when the Eddie chants were happening, and, and they continue to happen. And you know, just the, the spark that he kind of gives. Cause, you know, I think sometimes we often think that kickers are just off on their own doing their thing. But you know, he's, he's one of the guys that, that's a big part of this team. Yeah, you know, he brings uh, a positive uh, attitude every day, knowing that he's going to go out there and get his job done. Everybody has confidence in him, and confidence is contagious. Uh, the more people that start getting confidence in yourself and their game and each other, the more it grows and grows. And as a team, when you're a confident team, you play better. I know you're really confident what Johnny Townsend can do too. I think sometimes he, he outkicks the coverage because he kicks it so dang far. But having a weapon like him has to be tremendous at flipping the field. You know, he's he's a very good punter. He's uh, capable of punting the ball as far as anyone I've ever been around. But, uh, you know, he's stressed uh, the coverage a couple of times. we got to get down there and cover him if he kicks him that far. But uh, he's a good asset. He's kicking the ball well for us. And, Right now, our, our net punt's good. I uh, like to hold down some of the return yards we've given up. But uh, at the end of the day, when your net's where it is, um, you have flipped the field and, and gained valuable field position. Well, you talk about the re- return yardage. And what was the battle like in camp? Because you guys have a lot of dynamic playmakers now. I think we're starting to see what Kadarius Coney can do. And Massey coming back from injury. You've got Tyree returning the, the kickoffs now. And, and Brandon Powell has some options. Is, is that fun? Is it a competition every week to, to see who's going to get the ball? Well, it, it's a little bit of security in that you know uh, you have options. And uh, you're not going to be uh, pigeonholed or hand-tied uh, with having to go one way or the other that you have options. Uh, the guys go out and compete every day, and they all bring uh, a weapon to the uh, game plan. You know, as, as we look at some other guys that are part of this thing, too, I think a, a name that I want to highlight upon is Garrett Stevens, this little old guy who goes out and puts his left hand up against Michigan and, and blocks a punt. But I think he epitomizes what this team is and the hard work, the, the stuff that he's had to go through to earn some playing time, and it paid off greatly for him, didn't it? Oh, it, it certainly does, and I'm sure game's going to be special for him. He's uh, the lone guy on our uh, roster from Kentucky. In fact, uh, there's a good chance he'll be covering uh, a punt and hopefully tackle one of his ex-high school teammates. <laughs> and, and when you see a guy like that, does that make you feel good as a coach, just knowing you know, hey, where this guy came from and you know, all the things and adversity he's had to go through just to be a part of this thing? Well, you feel happy for him in that uh, you see him uh, realizing that hard work does pay off and you realize that uh, a guy like him gets it knows that hard work and positive attitude and staying with something is certainly going to eventually lead on to him being a very successful young man down the road in whatever he chooses to do after this stop. Well, not only is Coach Nor the special teams coordinator, but he oversees the tight ends as well. And, you know, Coach, I know that's a position that's really had a lot of success over the last couple of years with you there. And you think about two years ago, those couple of guys had 300 yards. Jake McGee was really good. Goolsby, and Goolsby had the great game last year. I know they haven't really gotten dialed in this year yet, but uh, injuries are a part of that too, aren't they? Yeah, they are. You know, no excuses, uh, as we say in our room. So, 
tape up it and rub a little bit of something on that injury and <laughs> let's go on with it and start doing our part. They've been doing a decent job uh, blocking, but uh, we got to just come together and get the whole package down. And with a young quarterback, is there a learning process trying to get reps from, from Felipe Franks to some of these guys to see what they can do? Well, I just think we got to just go do it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, all that comes with the time, and there's going to be some point in this game where we're going to say, whoa, that guy had a heck of a game. Well, and I uh, hope we're saying that when it's all said and done. Coach, thanks for the time, and uh, welcome home. But I hope you uh, you spank that team uh, or the, the, the state that uh, you're no longer a part of. Oh, there's everybody that knows me is going to be orange and blue. I promise you that. <laughs> you ain't got to worry about that one. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Don't forget to check out the Gators and Wildcats as they go toe-to-toe on Saturday night at 7.30, live on the SCC Network and the Gator IMG Sports Network. We'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode, so don't miss it. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Lexington. Lexington.